Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Gail Tagaro. Is that how you pronounce your name? That's right. Okay, cool. Gail runs several book writing and coaching programs and has been providing professional editing services to writers for the past 17 years. Many writers write to heal from trauma, illness, etc. And it would be no, I'm not going to say that. Many writers write to heal from trauma, illness, etc. So it's really interesting that I want to talk to you about that today. That was crap. Let me start that again. <laughs> Many writers write to heal, whether that's from trauma or illness, and it's something that can be applied to everybody. So welcome, Gail. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Karen. Lovely to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you end up doing the editing and how did you end up getting into this particular, because you kind of specialise in this sort of thing now, don't you? Yes. Yes, that's right, Karen. How I got into editing, well, I guess that all my life I've loved working with words and I've always loved writing and I went from, so my last job before I did editing got into editing was actually doing documentation for you know large companies back in New Zealand like Vodafone and Air New Zealand and Telecom doing all of their procedure documentation and policies and IT documentation and I did that for 15 years and then we moved to Australia and I was really ready for a change so I took a year off work and wrote my first novel first and only at the moment <laughs> and then after I wrote that then I had to sort of get back down and, and look for something that I wanted to do and editing just seemed to be the ideal thing for me because uh, I'm very pedantic <laughs> and it just appealed to me to sort of help other people get their other writers get their books ready for publishing so I started down that path and then in 2008 I sat an exam that's specially for like focused on professional editing. It's called uh, the qualification is called accredited editor. So I did that and then it was so I was working um, part-time and doing that for my own business but then working in other for other employers and then in 2014, I completely um, just dived into running my own business and I've been doing it ever since. So, so that's how I got into editing. And then over the years, a lot of writers weren't, uh, the work that they submitted was not ready for editing. It was either not ready or they didn't know how to have a start a book and they needed help on that. So then I started the coaching and this year, I've developed that coaching into several programs. Yeah. It's interesting that what you're saying about editing, because about probably 12 months ago now, 
I was asked, along with about 10 other people, if we'd contribute to this book that was going to be published in print as well as online. And I said yes. And then when it actually came to the crunch, there was a lot of conversations and online Zoom meetings and everything between everybody, and they were all talking about marketing and stuff. And I kept saying, well, what about the editing? And the response from the person who was supposed to be the publisher was, we don't do any editing. You're responsible for your editing. I said, but there's 10 different people here. You at least need to get the style of everybody's writing the same so that it doesn't chop and change. And 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 her response to me was, I don't believe in editing. I I think that what you write down is absolutely perfect. So I'm like, well, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting point of view. (laughs) I, I found that on the one part very arrogant and on the other part very insecure because if I am writing something to be published, I want somebody who is completely independent and knows what they're doing and is really pedantic because I tend to put a lot of commas in my writing, drives my editor nuts. <laughs> and um, I want somebody to go over and make sure that my work is as good as it can be. And yes. it is nerve-wracking, but it's a necessary thing to me. Yes, because it's a reflection of you in the world, isn't it? Uh, yeah. How- how it you know how professionally it comes across and you want to it to come across as professionally as possible but yeah some people still have that attitude interestingly fortunately I don't come across it a lot most obviously you know people who approach me they understand the importance of putting forward a a professional product so yeah Tell me what you're doing in because I've I've just realized that I've just done that whole speech knowing what editing is. Explain to people what is so if I gave you a manuscript, what would you do with it? What is editing? Yep. Good question, Karen. So some people still do think that editing is just that an, all an editor does is correct spelling and punctuation. And while that is definitely an important part of editing it's only it is only a part so it of course depends on the type of book that we're talking about so in a fiction book for example the the editor would be looking for inconsistencies in the story with whether the characters are realistic you know whether there's a good mix of narrative and dialogue whether it's fiction or non-fiction, an editor also does fact-checking and a certain amount of research. So like a novel that's set in the, I don't know, 14th century or 15th century and it's a mansion and they have stainless steel gate. I have come across it, believe me or not, <laughs> that kind of thing to, to correct um, inaccuracies like that. So, yeah, there's a lot that an editor does that is difficult to quantify because, you know, basically it's just making sure that everything is right, everything works together, and that the story or the book as a whole works. I remember once I published an article in an online magazine 
And I went back to look at it and it had a lot of reads, like well over a thousand reads like a week later. And I read it and realized that I'd missed a good half a sentence out of at least two sentences. And nobody (laughs) noticed. (laughs) It's that kind of thing, because when your mind's going and you're typing or writing away, you'll skip words or little bits of information and I know my editor will put little notes in there are you sure you meant this or I don't understand what you're trying to say here (laughs) yes that's right because your brain will sometimes go faster than your hands on the keyboard and then you get so and that's a good point you've raised Karen because you get so close to your own work you just can't step back and see it objectively and that's the role of the editor to see it objectively you as an editor, you don't change the style of the writing at all, do you? Because everybody speaks in their writing in a particular way. But an, a real gift of an editor that I don't think anybody knows unless they've done this kind of thing is allowing the author to keep their own voice. So you don't Absolutely. change how it's written. You just check, make sure everything's, it's what the person wants to say, I suppose, isn't it? And how and how they want to say it. Yes, absolutely right on that author's voice. It's something that I have been really, really aware of ever since I first started doing this. Every author, you know, like you might have 10 authors who have written about a similar subject or maybe, uh, you know, a similar genre of novel. But what makes it different is you know, not only obviously the characters and so on, but also their voice. Absolutely right. Their author's voice is what makes it unique. So it's really important to retain that. Yeah, that book that I was working on, the editor, she went through everybody's submission and she changed it completely. So she put in a lot of, I can't even remember the word, I've gone blank, So I'm very, I write like I talk. It's very straightforward. There's not a lot of descriptive words. There's certainly no prose in there. You know, it's not poetry the way I write. She added lots of things in. So it ended up sounding not like me at all. It sounded like something she'd written. And she couldn't understand what it was that, that she'd done anything wrong. She's like, well, I'm the editor. I'm making it better. No, you're not. You're making it yours. Yeah, that's a very good, you know, very good distinction that you need to step back enough as the editor to allow the author's voice to come through um, and even when you want to rewrite something because then what you're crossing is the boundary between editing and rewriting. Unless a writer particularly tells me, you know, I just want you to write it because I know I'm not a writer. Well, that doesn't happen very often because most people want their own voice and they do want to write it even if it's a challenge to them. But, yes, it's about keeping the way that they would say something. And if you're not sure as the editor, then that's when you sort of put the comments in the margins and say, no, this isn't really clear. Can you please reword it? And then you're doing it in your own words. So when you're doing, you were saying earlier on that you've done a lot of work recently with people who've written books to help heal themselves. 
How did you end up doing that? And talk to me about that. What happened? Like that's a, a really specific kind of thing. It is. And it's just happened organically, Karen. It's not just recently. I mean, recently, so when I sat down to do a little bit of preparation for your podcast, I just came up in five minutes with a list of 11 different authors I've worked with just this year, you know, who are all writing on some kind of a theme that is about healing. Uh, So I don't know. I just seem to have attracted those people. (laughs) Which is fantastic. Tell tell me about some of them. Some of them, yeah, sure. I and would, you don't have to mention the names if you don't want to. That's yeah. No, I definitely won't be because yeah, that's all part of the editor author confidentiality. So no worries there. So yes, I've worked with quite a few people on their journeys through cancer. Some of those have you know have cured their cancer, and I one young woman. She had incurable cancer. So one of them, the chap who had curable cancer, he was writing it to help other people who found themselves with cancer negotiate the hospital system and all the things that he learned that he was able to pass on to help people who found themselves in a similar situation and um, all of the the kinds of drugs that they had to take and and or he had to take and how you know he could mitigate the effects of some of them through certain quite simple things but he was never told that in the medical system and then the young woman who was writing hers it was I guess more as a memoir for her family to keep and then I'm working currently as she's doing one of my coaching programs with a lady who is has always worked in male-dominated professions, well, specifically in the trades. And she's had some pretty harrowing experiences of bullying and harassment and unequal work conditions. So she's uh, writing her her whole book about that in in an attempt to change the way women in in trades are viewed and women in general in, in the workplace uh, viewed and help to sort of try and bring about change uh, in that patriarchal kind of system. Another lady that I worked with recently, also as a as a coach, a writing coach, she's writing a biography about her father-in-law who passed away recently. Um, they were very very close, more like a father-daughter relationship. And so as a tribute to him and as a sort of a keepsake for the family, for his family as well, she's, she's writing that biography. So um, I don't know, it just seems like, and, and another guy that I'm working with as his writing coach, he's writing a thriller with a superhero. He works against evil, but at the first part of the book, the character's very autobiographical, you know, which is helping him to work through quite severe childhood trauma. So you can write a fiction book, you can write a self-help book, um, you can write a memoir. It doesn't matter the, the genre, but you can use them as a vehicle to work through trauma and pain and grief. When you do or when people do one of your coaching courses, what actually happens? Because there is a saying that everybody's got a book in them and we all, so many people say, I'd love to write a book. And most of us never do. 
how easy is it to write for most people to write a book? Or is it difficult? How easy difficult is it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I've worked with so many different people and so a lot of them have never written a book, Karen, and find it a really daunting thing to do. The way that I structure the programs, you know, like I take them right to start right at the beginning with, you know, setting out or setting up with them a structure for their book um, that really helps them to to actually get started because then you're not starting with a blank screen or a blank piece of paper. That's the thing that uh, puts most people off and I guess just in life generally when you start with something rather than nothing, it's, it's a lot easier. So it's really just a process of working through with them and, and often helping them gain more self-confidence. That's a huge part of it actually. You've got to be very non-judgmental and empathetic so they feel comfortable because it's very private you know people you know just even if it's not a particularly intimate or personal or private book just the fact of showing someone else your writing and how you write and you might not have done really well in English at school which a lot of people I work with you know have got that problem so it's a gradual process of building up that confidence and working through with them as they write the book and is it difficult look you do have to set aside the time to do it if you're going to commit to writing a book yes you do need to set aside the time and that time per week varies depending on the length of the book that you want to write so if you're wanting to write a hundred thousand word novel obviously you're going to need to work to put more hours in than if you're writing a thirty thousand word And it's interesting, I remember when I first started writing, what I struggled with was the way I'd been taught English at school because we are going back to the dark ages here, but it was there is a speaking style and there's a writing style and you're supposed to write in this way. And it felt so forced and so restrictive to me. And it wasn't until somebody kept saying to me over and over again, just write how you talk, just write how you talk. You don't have to get it right. Just get it down on paper or onto the keyboard. And it took a long time for me to actually feel comfortable to do that, to just write as I talk. And then it was really freeing because I could, you know, I don't even have to think about it. (laughs) Off I go. But it did take a long time. Yes, I can relate to that because a lot of people do ask me questions, you know, is it okay to start a sentence with and or but? And, you know, and these things were drummed into us as being terribly wrong. But English has evolved and, you know, so has our society. And, you know, I mean, you can look at really, really excellent, you know, multi-published authors and they break all the rules. But the thing is, it's good to know the rules before you break them. But at the same time, as you said, it's really freeing if you if you write the way you speak. And even if it needs to be edited, you know, that's fine. But recently, I did some work for this lady and um, it, it wasn't coaching, it was editing. And one of the sentences started with but. And she she actually was quite 
harsh in saying, you know, you're the editor, you should know that no sentences, I was taught at school, just like you said, Karen, that (laughs) a sentence should never start with but. Uh, Well, I didn't argue because, you know, that I don't, I don't, waste energy um I just changed the sentence so that it was how she wanted it to be but English is such a flexible language it's not strict and and restrictive like like it used to be um so if you want to start a sentence with and or but that's fine as long as you don't start every single one in the story with it Yeah, I think that's that's the big, I think most people, certain, well, I can't say certainly older people because I don't think it's any different for younger people, but we are so, so uncertain of actually putting ourselves down yes. in writing yes. because we're afraid that we're going to get criticised. We've all been to school. We've all been through the schooling system and got all those red pen lines through yes. everything. But also it is a self-expression. It's kind of like doing a painting when you're writing a story or a memoir or anything. There is that self-confidence hurdle to get over, isn't there? There is indeed, yes. And all I can say to that is, you know, work with someone that you trust and that isn't going to be judgmental because it really is important to express yourself as you want to express yourself and not to be constrained by silly rules. I mean, obviously there are rules that, you know, we all need to follow in writing. Otherwise it would be total chaos and no one would understand what we, what we wrote. But, you know, within that, you know, there's a, there's a fair bit of leeway. So I've forgotten how I was going to phrase the question now. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because what I was going to talk about was the... When people are writing these stories of healing, you as the observer, what difference do you see in them? What, you know, the changes from when they first sit down, or anybody really, from when they first come to your course or give you the manuscript to the end, what happens? What are the changes that you notice? Yeah, that's, I love that question, Karen. Um, Just thinking about one man in particular he had a very domineering father who you know has since passed away um and yeah had some dreadful like he was just crushed you know as a child and he did really well at school up until a certain age but then his father pulled him out of school and said he had to go to work and so he had absolutely no confidence in speaking or writing or anything and when he's actually gone on to do two programs with me so with the first one it was a small group program and I invited the participants to read out their writing if they felt comfortable doing so now he always did but it was a huge effort for him. Like he really wanted to do it because I always made sure that people only read it out if they wanted to because, you know, like we know it's very personal and very confronting. And he could hardly get the words out. He was stumbling over almost every single word and it was quite hard to understand what he was saying um, because he was so nervous, so incredibly nervous. And then... With the actual writing, he told me several times, you know, via email between sessions that he found it 
really upsetting what he was writing and that they had to leave, you know, he'd have to leave it aside and leave it for a day or two and then come back to it because it was so upsetting. And then I noticed over the course of the time that he was doing the the first program, which was 12 weeks, that, you know, towards the end, he was reading out quite confidently, you know, the way he read, it was so different. And he also told me how the writing was just freeing him up and that not only, you know, was it making him and making it easier, like it was easier to write, but it was also freeing up some of those things that he'd had in his mind for so many years and, and it was kind of unlocking them. So he was he was able to, because he's been going to therapy, you know, I don't think psychologists necessarily, but, you know, some kind of body therapy. And he was able to take that to the to the therapist and she was able to sort of work with him on that. So, yeah, that's just one example, Karen. But, yeah, it's incredible how you wouldn't think writing a book was going to have such an impact. But that's what I've seen with him. And, and you know, that's probably a really, you know, big example, but there are other lots of others. It doesn't have to be a autobiography as well, does it? You were saying before, it, when you want to write something that will help you to heal, it can be in the form of a, a novel, and even a superhero novel or whatever. It doesn't need to be a self-help or an autobiography. There's lots of options. Yes, that's right. Well, the, that example that I just told you, he's the superhero man. Ah, okay. Yes, and he's writing a novel, so it's like a thriller, yeah. So what else could you do? With that subject matter? Yeah, you know, if you, like with that guy with the trauma, the early childhood trauma, just give me some examples of the different things you could do with that or to get it out there in the form of a book. Well, yes, I mean, obviously, as you said, there's the, um, there's the memoirs and the autobiography, but he didn't want to write that because um, there's still he's still got family who didn't have the same experiences as he did growing up. So you know how you can have you know siblings in the same family and they just have totally different experiences growing up, and so they can't relate to when he speaks badly about the father or doesn't speak badly but criticizes something you know or portrays the father in a certain way so he always wanted to write it as fiction but yeah I mean in his case he's writing it uh, like a superhero I'm not quite sure how else other than than memoir or autobiography I guess you're only limited by your imagination really And how long, because I I was talking to an author called Danielle Hawkins a few weeks ago, and she sits herself down in the morning and she does 1,500 words. That's what she does. And she said, I toil over every sentence. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I like each sentence to be exactly to say exactly what I want it to say so which seems really strange to me because I just 
talk. You know, I just write and talk until I'm done. Whereas Danielle, she labors over every sentence to make sure that sentence in and of itself says exactly what she wants it to say. Because she's she's a vet and she's got two kids and they run a farm. So she's got lots of stuff going on. She literally just does before the kids get up in the morning, she does her hour or hour and a half, however long it is. Yeah. There's all different ways of doing it. I have another friend who she does 500 words in the morning, but it's that's just journaling kind of thing. She doesn't start a day till she's done 500 words. Yes. There's all yes. sorts of ways, aren't there? Yes, definitely. Well, it's a, it's a great, I love hearing when people have that discipline, you know, to set themselves a word count or, or a time that they're going to sit down and write. I can relate to, what was that lady's name? Danielle Hawkins. Yes, I can relate to her, to Danielle, wanting every sentence to be perfect. But in fact, in my coaching programs, I tell people just get it down, like you were saying before, just get it down. The most important thing to begin with is just to get it down because if you're trying to get it perfect, you're just not going to get it written. You're going to be labouring over things and wondering if it's the right word and picking up the dictionary and thesaurus and, you know, trying to get the exact word. So, like, I'm not criticising Danielle in any way at all. Everyone does it differently. Um, And she's obviously got the discipline to sit down and and churn out those 1,500 words a day. Uh, When, and and she's very busy, you know, and a lot, most of the people I work with are very busy and they're working full time as well. And, you know, a lot of them have families too. So if they're going to make progress, and obviously when I'm running a course that's either 12 weeks or six months long, I want to make sure that at the end of it, they have got their first draft done. So it's about, first of all, getting all that down. And then people don't like hearing this, but when it's all finished, that's when the real writing begins. (laughs) So that's when you refine because you never, ever would be submitting a first draft to a a graphic designer if you're self-publishing or a publisher if you're going through the mainstream publishing. You know, you're always, you, you need to work on several drafts really before it's anywhere near uh, an accomplished work but so getting that first draft and whatever however many words it, it, it may be 30,000 100,000 you know 60,000 just getting them down and then once you've got the whole book there all the chapters are written then you go back and you start the rewrites and the refining yeah. To be fair, Danielle's on a sixth novel now, so she's got yeah. enough experience to kind oh, of yes. understand her own uh, abilities and limitations. You know, she's in a completely different space to somebody yes. just starting out. Yes. Um, yes, definitely. We're going to wrap up in a minute. <laughs> you thought this was going to take ages, didn't you? And it doesn't. It actually goes really fast when we get talking. Yeah, no, it's good. So talk to me about the courses and programs that you do. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So, yes, this year has been a very intense full-on year where I've rebranded my business and updated, like done a complete website update and everything. 
and developed so far four different programs that um, that are available, you know, from my website. So they start with uh, with one that's fully self led online, and it's just seven modules, and it's called the Writer's Starter Kit because the idea of it is just to get uh, someone started on the writing. So it gives them all the tools, all the templates, and things like that to be able to start their book because a lot of a lot of people that's what holds them back just actually getting started so that's the first one and then I have a a program called um, get your book to the finish line that's the one I started with Uh, and that's 12 weeks Um, so I run it as a group program but I also run it as an online program so it's available in both formats and of course I slightly going to be slightly different because when you're face to face with someone or you know over zoom then it's going to be different to someone following that same course online in their own time so that's sort of two in one two that's three we've talked about and then I have a six-month program called the book writing academy and that's purely one-to-one because I realised that 12 weeks wasn't enough for everybody to get their first draft done. And so I needed to offer that choice between the the three-month and and the six-month. So those are the, yeah, those are the four programmes at the moment. And I will be introducing um, an e-book writing programme as well, but that's in its infancy. We just did the brainstorming for that last week. (laughs) What do you think is the most, where do you think people have the most difficulty in all this? Mm -hmm. Getting started, knowing exactly what topic to write about. There is another one. Yeah, I can't think of the other one, but there's, there's about three main things. Knowing how to start. Oh, yes, and the accountability to keep going. So that's why, you know, basically I, I, have clients because it's easier when you have accountability to a coach especially when you've got to produce a certain number of words a week like in the book writing academy one they need to be writing at least 3,000 words a week because that's what I'm going to be reviewing for them so yeah it's really kind of pressure cooker (laughs) have you got any funny stories about things that have happened Oh my gosh! Put you on the spot there. Sorry, Gail. Oh, that's all right. Um, I'm sure there are lots of funny stories. Like there's a lot of funny moments when I'm when I'm working with people or when I'm reading their books. You know, sometimes you're just reading a sentence and then you go, "Oh my god, that's hilarious!" and funny moments. Right? Yeah. Okay. So one of the writers that I worked with, she's a US writer. She's based in Baltimore. And she wrote a sports trilogy that was based on a love affair she had with an NRL star. So it's a fictionalized story, but it's actually based on fact. She's changed all the names, but it's based on fact. And we used to have a hilarious time because not only is she American, but she's also a black American. So she uses a lot of um, a lot of slang, and I had no idea sometimes what she was talking about. So I would go over her work and then send it back to her, and you know, with comments, and she would just laugh so hard 
and having to explain these things because I said, you know, your audience is going to be international, so you need to, you know, not explain it to death, but you do need to explain so that your audience, wherever they happen to be in the world, is going to understand what you mean. (laughs) So that was pretty funny. We had some pretty funny moments. I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, you're quite right because there's there's idiosyncrasies that are native to each country or area or ethnic group or whatever. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I just had her back recently, actually, as a guest on um, the last session for the Get Your Book to the Finish Line group program, and she was amazing. She was she's so entertaining and. She's very, very successful. She's self-published and she's already sold um, more than 50,000 copies of her books. So, Wow. Good on her. really well. Mm. Yeah. Good on her. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gail. That was absolutely brilliant. Really cool. enjoyed it. Thank you, Karen. It's, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. So um, all of the links to Gail's thing will be on the webpage that goes with this podcast and you can connect with us through there. So if you even, we've all got a book in us, get in touch with Gail if you struggle in starting or you don't know where to go or whatever. I think that's the best thing to do, honestly. <laughs> yes, happy to talk to anyone, even if they decide not to go ahead, it might help them clarify. And if anyone does decide to sign up to the either the group program or the or the six month, the twelve week or the six month, I'm happy to offer them fifteen percent. So any of your subscribers, Karen, fantastic. Yeah. I will put that in the link. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Thank you Gail. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage, and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.